107. Opening the doors to endless possibilities. In the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness. With your host, Rafika and Brother James. Well, welcome. Welcome to another day. Welcome to another life. Welcome to another moment, another chance for you to get it right, to get your business, to get your things tight, right, and make sense with all that you do. Now, we've got a, we got a special show for you tonight. As usual, we have uh, Brother Haru Niket, who is here with us, and Haru is our financial and our business expert and he's been coming on dropping some gems and really helping people just look at their life in many different areas. Tonight he touches on such a special topic that is not often discussed in the different communities. For example, how many times have you sat down with your elders to talk about creating wealth, uh, intergenerational wealth for your family, for your children, not necessarily just with an insurance policy, but just creating wealth. So Haru is going to be here to talk about that. As a matter of fact, I see him now on the switchboard. I know he's ready. You got a moment to go get a pen, get some paper, get ready to take notes. Class is in session, and we will be right back, right after the healthy tip of the day with Organic Soul Chef, Medea Allen. The Keys 107 and com presents The Healthy Tip of the Day. The Healthy Tip of the Day is to spend time in nature. Nature connects us to life's natural rhythms and to the interconnectedness of all life. The elements found in nature are very soothing and are healing to the mind, body, and spirit. Pick favorite parks to explore for half an hour once a week, or discover new outdoor areas you may have been curious about. Enjoying regularly scheduled time in nature can be a great way to manage stress and also to bring greater peace and harmony to your life. Today's healthy tip of the day has been brought to you by Organic Soul Chef Medea Allen. For more healthy lifestyle tips, visit me online at OrganicSoulChef.com. This is MYBY, and you are tuned into the Keys 107 Network on Blog Talk Radio, opening doors to endless possibilities. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I should say, one of the questions that a lot of our uh, Internet, uh, social media listeners want to know, besides wanting to know who is that woman that does the organic soul, um, the healthy tip of the day, and that is Medea Allen, the organic soul chef. And you can reach her at www.organicsoulchef.com. Also, that music in the background is by... Ernie J. Smith, South Africa's Pride and Joy. So thank you, Ernie Smith. Just know that 
We are listening. We love you. We appreciate you. So let's just get right down to it. Haru is here. And um, Haru, how are you yes. doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Good. Oh, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually very excited about this, uh, being a mother um, of a teenager who is just embarking on, you know, getting his life together and figuring out just what he's going to be doing. I'm pretty excited to just listen in. I got my pen and my paper, and I'm ready. And I'm, I know you're going to start off with talking about the advantages of intergenerational wealth. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is such an important topic. You know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, it's not one that's discussed very often. And usually, you know, people think it's out of the realm of possibility to even entertain intergenerational wealth. You know, people struggle just to make ends meet all the time, consider uh, the next generation, or they don't consider what their parents could have, you know, done for them. You know, so um, I think part of the problem is we don't really understand the, the advantages of intergenerational wealth. And the, the biggest and most glaring advantage, obviously, is the head start that you afford to your children. You know, we're so used to starting from scratch every generation. And, you know, we, we've made tremendous strides because um, historically each generation has done a little better than the previous one. But when you look at the statistics of, of wealthy children as opposed to in the terms of gains, as opposed to the gains of the working or middle-class families, you know, it's no comparison. Um, wealthy children are not more intelligent. Um, you know, they just start off with such a solid foundation and solid base to work with and have such a cushion to work with that it, it allows them the opportunity to take chances that you wouldn't take. It allows you to allows them to, um, you know, have this sense of security for, that we don't have in terms of security from catastrophic losses. When there's an economic downturn, we suffer and oftentimes have to start all over where they can ride it out because they had a little cushion. When, mm -hmm. um, when there are natural disasters, when there's war, when there's illness, when all these things that could cause these catastrophic losses in, in other families, when you've you know, established that foundation and that cushion for them to start with, it gives them that, that security to be able to do you know, certain things you couldn't do before. So it's so important, you know, when, when you look at, you know, the idea of, of intergenerational wealth is so important to really understand the, the challenges that we face historically and the challenges that we face contemporarily. So, you know, historically, when you're talking about minorities, um, they were, you know, I mean, we started in a hole. Clearly, we started, you know, at least 100, 200 years behind everybody else in terms of being able to get any type of income. But then there were, there were laws that were in place um, that prevented us to have home ownership in certain areas. And why is that relevant? Because there's certain areas that appreciate and value uh, better than others. And so we started in a hole there. There were prohibitive laws against borrowing from the banks. You know, they were very limiting in terms of our ability to borrow money to even purchase homes and, and large things like that. Um, we often had poor education, uh, especially education surrounding finances. And you know, and just lower incomes on the jobs that we had to start with. So we, we were even starting with a smaller pool when we did decide to invest. So, you know, we had all those challenges, and, and some of those challenges still exist today, but we have more opportunity to overcome those things than ever. But then we have to look at 
you know, other issues. When we look at even, um, you know, non-minority families or wealthy families, there are certain issues that they face in terms of transferring wealth. And there was a study done, and 60% of failed transfers are the result of an internal breakdown of trust and communication in a family. And so when you, you look at that statistic, 60% failed just because, you know, families weren't on the same page. Mm. Um, you know, they just weren't communicating well. They just weren't trusting each other, and there was infighting, you know. So a large, a large amount of, of wealth just stops because of that. Um, then 25% of transitions would break down due to failure to prepare the heirs. You know, and I'm going to talk about that a little later. You have to be prepared to inherit wealth. You can't just give somebody wealth. And, and I mean, we see that a lot of times, um, and we've seen that all over Brooklyn in particular. There, was, there were children that inherited a lot of the brownstones that now are, are going switching hands to other people. And because they inherited the brownstones and didn't understand the value of the brownstones and didn't understand what they should do, they, they pretty much gave them away you know, for, for pennies of what they're worth. Um, and then there's another 10% of transfers are, are unsuccessful because there's a lack of agreed-upon mission for the family wealth. And I'm going to talk about that, too. It's so important to have, you know, a mission for the family. So, you know, we have to – I mean, no, all those issues can, could be solved really by just speaking hmm. and speaking, you know, effectively speaking, I should say, not just speaking effectively speaking, so that there's this common understanding, you know, and everybody's on the same page. So, you know, those are some of the challenges, you know, that, that we see. So, you know, let me get into that. You have to establish intergenerational wealth as a value for your family. And when I say establish it as a value, it's so important to have a collaborative Understanding because it, it can't be a top down thing either. It can't be a patriarchal or a matriarchal decision, and everybody else doesn't have a contribution because um, that's not going to work. That won't last as, as children become older and more independent. That won't last. And so, even at a young age, they have to have some type of input and has to be, you know, a, an agreed upon that this is a value for our family that we wish to adhere to. And when you have that type of value, it changes both your short-term and long-term behavior. It changes all of the discussions that you have with your children about, about money and value and, and their goals. So, you know, when you, when you begin to do things like that, you know, I, I've heard people always say, pay yourself first. I'm going to change that a little bit. And I say, pay into your future first. Mm. You know, that, that's a totally different idea. Pay into your future first. So you're going to put money away for the next generation first. Then you're going to pay what will hurt you second. And people don't ever really address that because there are certain, there are certain things that, that will deplete your wealth. And I'm, think, I'm talking about things that, that um, increase debt. So when you're talking about debt, especially high interest debt, that will eat away any investing or any savings that you have. So it's important that you – pay into your future, then pay things that are going to hurt you so that it doesn't cut into what you're building for your future. And then third, you're going to pay for what gives you immediate gratification. And I think most people have it the other way around. They pay for immediate gratification first, then they'll pay 
you know, what will hurt them second, and then they'll pay into their future third. So we have to flip-flop that, that dynamic so that, you know, we're, we're ensuring that uh, we, we leave something, you know, for our children. Another thing that people don't understand is, is perhaps the, the ratio that you should have in terms of how much you put away, how much you spend, and how much you live off of. And, you know, I say that, that model we said pay into your future first, 10% of your income should be put aside for your future. And 20% should be put aside for shorter-term investing. So when I say shorter-term investing, I mean you get your emergency fund out of that, you get your retirement account out of that, you get your savings for for short-term goals out of that, um, and then you should be able to live off of 70% of your income. If you can't live off 70% of your income, then you need to make some changes to increase your income. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and and sometimes we don't we don't consider that. You know, we it's hard for human beings to project far ahead. And so, oftentimes, you know, we look at the now, and we assume that we don't have enough to do things in the future, or it's just not that important, or we have time. Uh, but you really don't. And so, you really have to begin to create a, a different type of budgeting for yourself. And if if you're not able to meet what you can do with 70% of the income, then you have to make some really tough decisions. And if that means that you change jobs or you change the type of income that you get, then you do that. If that means that you add extra hours and do what you have to do for now, then you have to do that. Um, And it's better to do it when you're young and you have the energy to be able to do that. Um, You know, as you get older, you don't have the, you don't want to put the sweat equity in. You want to put the sweat equity in when you're young. So, you know, it's important that, that we begin to, you know, have these family meetings and establish this as a family that and, and constantly reinforce that. So um, let's, it's going to change your, yeah, go ahead. Let's go over that 10% of your income should be put away. What yes. do you mean by put away? Are you talking about uh, investments or just having it sit in the bank? Well, I, I think, you know, depending on your age, and I'm going to get to some of that, but it depends on your age, um, what you're going to do, right? Um, because, Sitting in a bank for the long, long, long term is, is not necessarily a good strategy. The bank doesn't pay high interest, but it's, it's relatively safe. And we want to take advantage of, of, of certain ideas. So I'm, I, I promise you I'm going to go over some strategy in terms of where to put those things a little further down um, in, in, uh, you know, in the discussion. But, you know, it's important that that, that money is not spent. You know, that's that's the most important thing for now. Um, okay. Like I said, yeah, so you make sure you don't spend that money. And that money is allocated specifically for the next generation. Okay, so before I ask that question, we you were getting ready to talk about um, family meetings and the importance yeah, I, I think of open conversation. Are, are, absolutely. Um, and, and the conversation changes at different stages in in a child's life and different stages in your own life and different and, and as as the world changes um economically it, it you know so many things change that the conversation has to really be steered uh to be able to address those issues you know when when children are very young the conversation is different from when they're adolescents is different from when they're young adults it's different from when they're fully grown and you know the conversation is different when we're in the economic downturn as opposed to when the economy is booming so, mm-hmm. you know, we have to, but the, but the value gets reinforced. You know, um, I know when, when I was young, 
the conversation was, you know, go to school, get a good education. You know, when you're a certain age, you're expected to leave home and be independent. You know, the conversation wasn't geared so much as to, okay, this is what I'm going to do to to give you a head start, but this is what you have to do to contribute to that because it's not just going to be a give me. You know, um, you know, there was no conversation centered around, okay, I'll let you stay home a little longer, but in order to stay home, these are the conditions that have to be met in terms of your own savings and your own input into our future generations. Because sometimes what we, we the mistake we make also is that it's only the parents' job to prepare for the children, not the children's job to prepare for their future as well, and mm-hmm. not the children's job to prepare for the future generations as well. You know, it, it shouldn't be next generation stopped and they have to do it, next generation stopped. You know, you have to look ahead to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You have to be considering, you know, that, that wealth transfer and not for the next generation to consume it all and have to start the process again. And so those those, those discussions have to be, you know, um, geared specifically to the age. So, you know, that leads into the next point, like when should you start planning? And I say you should start planning immediately. I don't care what age you are, what stage you're in, you need to start planning now. If you're single with no dependents, you know, you, your your idea is going to be a little different because you have time on your side, you have expendable cash that other people may not have, um, you can afford to be more risky uh, because you have the time to recover. So, you know, the sooner you can start, the better, because we're going to take advantage of, of time. Time is the greatest asset that you're going to have in terms of creating wealth. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I bought my, my first property. I was 29 years old. And the first property I bought at 20, at 29 years old cost me $138,000. And now, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old, and that property is worth $950,000. And and there's only a, a uh, and the mortgage is pretty much paid off. So because of time alone, because I got it early enough, just that time increased the value of that asset tremendously. And so, you know, it's important that we understand that. If I had bought that same property this year, it would cost me $950,000. So how long would it take before it, it, it gained that type of equity? So, you know, we need to, we need to begin to, to look at time. You know, when we look at even um, different investments we have, whether it's a structured investment like a mutual fund or, you know, IRA, the, the longer you have it in there, depending on the economy, then, the, you know, the, the more value it's going to get over time. So the planning has to start immediately. The, if you're single, the, the discussion has to be had with your your potential uh, partner. You know, um, before you decide to marry, you need to have that discussion. You know, once you're married and you're going to have children, you need to have that discussion. You know, once you mm-hmm. have children, you need to have a, again have that discussion. So the planning has to 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 start right now. That's not something you can wait for. Not if you want to be you know as successful as you can be. You know, um, and I think again. When we talk about the children, people will always say, I think people underestimate the intelligence of children. I agree. You know, you, yeah, you need to start teaching them about value as early as possible. And, you know, one of the things I did with my children when they were really young, I mean, like um, eight, nine, ten years old, you know, there's a game, and I think it still exists, there was a game called Cash Flow for Kids that uh, Robert Kiyosaki actually put out. And, we used to play the game, and we used to talk about value, and we talked about, 
investing, and we talked about all these things, and they were able to do it through a game, so it was fun. You know, um, you can't sit with with eight, nine, ten year olds and have this serious conversation because they don't necessarily get it, but they understand it through the play and the interaction. And one of the things that was important, one of the things I did with my own children too, was I didn't, I never gave them allowance. So, I don't believe that there's, I didn't want to uh, foster this gimme attitude, like an attitude of entitlement either. So there were certain things that were taken care of. You know, clearly if they needed spending money to when they were going out, you know, I would give them a little spending money. Or, you know, if they were involved in, in um, sports activity, you know, I funded that. But when they wanted certain things, they had to find a way to, to earn that. And that gave them an appreciation for the difference between price and value. Um, and I'll give an example. My my youngest son, well, he's 17 now, but when he was about 14, he first got to high school, you know, he's into sneakers. He loves, like, the Jordans and the, you know, expensive sneakers. But I'm not going to buy him $100 sneakers. I just refuse. Mm-hmm. And so he, <laughs> if he wanted those $100 sneakers, which he really wanted, then he had to find a way to finance that on his own. And so, you know, he's a smart kid. Well, he goes to a high school that has uh, 4,000 kids, it's a large high school, and those kids always want snacks. And so, you know, he said, well, Dad, he said, um, is it okay if you pick me up some, you know, box the big boxes of, of candy um, at BJ's Wholesale, and I sell that and I finance my sneakers? I said, sure. And then mm-hmm. he got really smart. He got smart because my wife owns a, a hair salon. So what he did was he put a box in there with a little sign on it. So he's trying to raise money to, to buy his own sneakers. And the women in there just were buying up candy like crazy. And yeah. then he had a couple of kids, <laughs> a couple of kids, you know, at school, you know, working for him, selling candy too. So um, what's interesting, after he started making all the money and, and he realized that he didn't really want the sneakers. So sometimes he would buy the sneakers and sometimes he would say, you know what, I don't really want the sneakers because they, they cost so much. And he understood, mm-hmm. you know, the difference between price and value. So once he had to earn that money, then it, the sneakers had less value to him. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he and you make a, you, you know? You, you make a good point, Haru, when, and that's even with adults, when you mm-hmm. start having to pay for the thing, you understand how much you are spending on it. And I know my son had his first job last year and he was, he was for, uh, 14, 15 and he saw his paycheck and then he had all the big plans of what he was going to do with his <laughs> paycheck. And then, you know, the reality of, wow, it's, I, I have to manage this. I have to put some aside in order to do this. So, and you're absolutely right. These are important lessons, but I don't think that this conversation is common in the average household when it comes to the children. Those um, people who have, in, in in my experience, they don't have that conversation. I didn't have this conversation with my parents. Um, my father right. my father was the type who just took care of things. When he passed away, he took care of things for months in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, that was paid for. You know, this conversation was never... Had but on my cousin, on the other hand, when his father um, passed away, there was a safe deposit box with full instructions that before his father passed, he took him, he took his son there and showed him this is the this is the safe deposit box and here are all the instructions. These are the creditors and this is what I need you to do. 
Yeah, and I think that's so important. And again, I think, but not not only just leaving instructions, and, I, and I'm going to tell you some stories about, you know, just leaving instructions too. Um, but just in terms of the conversations, like my, you know, I have three children. My my daughter is 19, and my oldest son is 21. But when my daughter was 12, you know, the same conversation about value and being able to generate income for yourself was so important. When she was 12 years old, um, she had outgrown all these toys that she had, you know, dolls and things that she didn't want to play with anymore. And, you know, one of the things that we have here in New York, we have block parties, you know, which is a big thing where they close off the street and, you know, everybody comes out (laughs) and the kids play in the street. And what she did to me that was so impressive was she decided she was, she wanted to have a sale and sell all of her toys to, to make money. And, she asked me the best way to do that. And what we did, I said, well, if you want people to, if you, if you want people to actually show up and not just have people pass by and try to buy, because they might not have money just passing by, you need to make some flyers. And she made some flyers and she put them out in the neighborhood and she put her table out, but she didn't want to miss the block party. At 12 years old, she got one of the boys on the block to stand in front of that table all day long and she gave him a commission. And he sold all of her toys because he was working on the commission, and she played all day long. You know, to, so to to have that understanding of, of how to make money and how business works and how value, you know, is, you know, how it all plays out, I think is important. And to, to be able to manifest that even on a small level at 12, that's a business. That's how a business runs. So that's the type of education we want to give, not, you know, not just how to create a budget or, you know, not just, um, how to get a job, but also how to really create income for yourself um, and where you don't have to work so hard. Um, and now she's 19, and, you know, it was interesting. She has a, a, a first real job, you know. Uh, she's had another job, but this is a, a good-paying job. And, you know, her first conversations with me were, well, you know what, I think I'm going to save my money and buy a car. And, you know, she had to, she said, okay, well, how much does a car cost? And, you know, how do I finance it? And we had those discussions. And then she asked me something. One day she, she asked me about retirement, which was, I thought was a really strange question from a 19-year-old. Um, but, again, I shouldn't be surprised because these are conversations we've had over the years, but it's just starting to come back to her. She said, when should I start um, saving for retirement? She's 19 years old. She asked me, when should I start saving for retirement? Um, I said, you should start now. She said, Why? She said, how much does it take to retire? See, that's a, that's a question nobody told me. How much does it take to retire? And I said, well, wow. it depends on how, how young you want to be when you retire. Because you've got to think about replacing your income for that many years. So she said, well, that seems expensive. I said, yeah, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even a million dollars, because people are living longer. And she said, you know what? I don't really care about a car. She said, I can take the subway. That's no big deal. She said, I'm going to start saving for my retirement. Wow. And I just thought that was, you know, at 19, I just thought that was, you know, wow, you know, they, like they really did hear me because you never know, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, and so, you know, so and so we had the, uh, actually a discussion earlier today. She has shorter-term goals, too. She's saving up. She wants she, When she moves out, she wants to move into a place she owns. So, you know, today we had discussions about how to build her credit. We had discussions about how much it's going to she needs to save for a down payment. So she's she's taking a portion of her money, and she's saving it for retirement. She's taking a portion of her money 
to buy it, a tangible asset that will increase in value tremendously over her lifetime. And so we, we had the discussion, you know, about, and I told her, since you're living home, you should be able to live off 20% of, of, of your income and save 80%. So we flipped it all the way around. I said, you should be able to live off 20% of your income and save 80% of your in- income. She said, you know, no, that, that's not what I'm going to do. She said, I, I have these little side jobs because sometimes she works in my wife's salon and gets to get some money, and sometimes she does this other side work. She said, I can live off the side work. I'm going to save 100% my income from my job. You know, and I just thought, you know, at 19, to, to have that, that ability to look that far ahead is so important, and that goes again back to the conversations from the time when they were little. That goes again back to when we were playing cash flow, you know, and I think that's so important. My my 21-year-old, um, we've been sitting down and actually looking at different investments, which is different. You know, all my children had a savings account from the time they were young, and that, that's something I, I'm – I was blessed to have since um, I was probably in elementary school. My parents took me to get a savings account when I was a little kid. Um, I did the same with my children just to have that idea of deferred enjoyment and putting some money away. But now my son is 21, and he saved a significant amount in the bank. And what he did, I, I, I had him take my financial course, which is important. You know, we had the conversations, but I had him sit with older adults in the classroom to be able to hear their situations and their dilemmas and their sense of urgency. And now, you know, we're sitting and we're, we're actually on the computer and we're following certain investments because he's about to make some investment decisions that will impact him for the rest of his life. And he's going to mm. take a portion of his, his savings and he's going to invest it. So he's going to take it out of the bank and really start trying to, to make it grow much faster. So, you know, it's, it's important. Again, those conversations, we don't realize the impact until – they're in their late teens and early 20s. So um, so the answer know, to the question is when plan is now when you start talking to your children right away, immediately. And if you, what you have shown us with your goals is that you will respond. Yes. So we're going to break for you. And I want to welcome our new listeners in on the key seven in the Facebook family who has shared those for us in the past and helping us to be who have called in listening in. If you want to talk, have a question, want to weigh in, share some experiences, on your cat. That one of us listening, but however you do it, we're just happy you're here. We'll be right back. The Keys 107. We'll be right back. For fashion that bring out the best in you, go to moon107.com. That's M A U N 107.com. We feature organic hair and skin products. Pink Himalayan sea salt, women tunic tops, children's books, jewelry, art, and organite. Visit us on the web at moon107.com. M-A-U-N-107.com. Thank you. 
The Fluff is MC Alphabet is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, go to www.thefluffamily.com. Rafika Consultants and Services Technology Trainers. Do you need help making your computer or smartphone work for you? Whether it's managing your email, navigating Windows 8, working with MS Office, creating videos for YouTube, or any other technology need, our friendly and expert trainers are ready to help you get it right. We also provide public relations and web design project management. For more information, contact us at www.rafikacs.com or on Facebook at Rafika Consultants and Services. So we're back. We're here with financial and business financial expert and business consultant Haroon Niket, who is just giving us some gems as usual on little known secrets for creating intergenerational wealth. And he's he left off talking about when do you begin preparing your children with the conversation about wealth and and pre- saving, preparing, and let's just go right into the next point, Haru. Okay, so the next thing is invest in your children. Don't just spend on them. And, you know, that, that's the concept that, you know, a lot of people have a, a difficult uh, time adhering to um, because you love your children. You want to spend money on them. And one thing we have to remember, children – will not remember designer clothes and expensive gifts when they get older. You know, it's so much more important to do other things that will last them a lifetime. The clothes will be gone. You know, the elaborate parties will be gone. All those things will be gone, but we need to think about some things that um, will carry on to the next generation. One of the things that my my wife's family uh, tradition that they have is when a child is born, they automatically buy them savings bonds. And I think a lot of families – you know, we do things like that. But we need to continue that after birth. And so if every birthday you gave them a savings bond or some silver bullion or some gold bullion, and every holiday, in addition to whatever you wanted to give them, you gave them a savings bond and you gave them some silver bullion or some gold bullion, that adds up over time. And those are things, you know, with the savings bond, they take many years to mature. So, you know, it's a way to ensure that they don't blow it early. Um, but also, you know, to have that precious metal. Now, precious metals are interesting because normally it, as a short-term investment, I would, t- I would never instruct anybody to buy precious metals. And the reason is, one, they don't pay dividends, and two, um, it's really only over a long, long, long period of time um, that you see the, the, the significant increase in value. And so, you know, when you begin to, to do – those things and start that as a family tradition, you know, that's important. But the other thing that, you know, the people don't really discuss is not so much the, the, the money aspect, but when I say invest in your children, you need to work constantly on strengthening the family bonds. If we go back to that, that early statistic, that 60%, you know, of wealth transfers failed because of internal breakdown and in trust, you know, due to a lack of communication and understanding, then that is so critical to constantly be working on strengthening that family bond. 
um, another aspect that we don't think of when we talk about investing in our children is investing in the intellectual capital, meaning that you have to give them a certain type of education, not just an education to get a job, but an education to understand wealth and to understand value, to understand how to make money, to understand the importance of, you know, having that foundation. So you have to constantly do that. The other thing that we also have to do, again, that is really a killer to intergenerational wealth is invest in their physical and mental health. It is so easy to lose wealth because of physical illness or mental illness that it's important that you address those things when children are young and that you give them a foundation for understanding, you know, nutrition and exercise. And you set an example for that. Um, You know, it's interesting. People kind of look at my household as as hilarious to them because everybody in my house exercises. And (laughs) it's (laughs) – and it's not so much that, you know, I didn't, everybody get up and let's do our jumping jacks together. You know, I set the tone. You know, I exercise six days a week and most days twice a day. So they've always watched me, but I always watch my father work out. My father, um, he passed away last year at 77. And, and even when he was sick, up until he was about 75 years old, my father worked out a lot. And so, you know, I understood the value of, of working out, and I passed that along to my family. You know, um, my, my, all my children were athletes. Um, my daughter was a dancer as well as an athlete. Uh, my wife was a dancer, you know, so that they, and they continued that, that exercise, and so that's so important to understand. Um, and even dealing with their mental health, you know, if they have issues, you know, one of the things that's really strange in our community is, is getting help for uh you know, emotional or mental challenges. And if your child has been traumatized by something or if your child just needs somebody to talk to other other than you, then we need to be open to that so that they're in a better position uh, to be whole physically and mentally. So, you know, those type of things are important. Also, um, fostering a, a community tie with, with your children. So it goes beyond you uh, or it goes beyond your household for them to, understand generosity and to understand philanthropy, um, you have to set that tone as well um, because you want to be able to pass that on to them, you know, uh, in addition to just transferring wealth from your family, you want to be able to transfer wealth and philanthropy to uh, the greater community as well. So, you know, when I say invest in in your children, don't just spend on them. There's so many things that we have to, to put into them to make sure that they're in a position to be successful. There are, what I really want to talk about, there are, there are so many obstacles that we have to overcome to be successful in this area. And one of the most important is the poor prediction of the cost of life events that prevents proper cash and asset allocation. So, for example, um, when you're a, a, a young couple, sometimes you underestimate the cost of just birthing a child. Mm. And the expense that, you know, I know it, it blew me away. When I had my first child, I couldn't believe, I didn't know it cost so much. I had no idea, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I had no idea how much it would cost to feed and, and, and keep changing a baby's pampers. I had no idea, you know, it blew me away. And it really put a, a damper on, on some of the plans I had financially because I didn't understand. And those are conversations that you need to have with your parents and you need to have with other people uh, because it seems to be this big secret for some bizarre reason. You know, people don't talk about, you know, the cost of that. 
Yeah. Um, the cost of edu- the cost of education. You know, we underestimate what it will cost to educate your child properly. We underestimate significantly home ownership. You know, I have conversations with with young couples all the time who have this unrealistic expectation of what it costs to purchase, you know, a home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's extremely expensive. You know, when you look at the cost of home ownership today, you know, whether you're talking about the down payment, the closing costs, um, and then we don't understand the cost of home ownership. You know, all the bills you incur for, for taxes, insurance, um, maintenance, you know, all those things cost a significant amount of money, so you have to be able to plan for that. We significantly underestimate the cost of retirement. Um, there are so many people now that are forced to work in their 70s and even their 80s. You know, we have greeters at, at Walmart that are 80 years old, you know, and it's, yeah. it's crazy Yeah. because we don't, we don't understand the cost of that. Um, another thing we underestimate is the cost of, of health care. For some bizarre reason, when we're young, we can never imagine ourselves being sick or incapacitated when we're older. And the reality is that most people are in a position where they require some sort of health care, significant health care when they're older. So, you know, we don't, we don't plan for those things, and that can really, you know, cut into our ability to uh, transfer wealth to the next generation because everything that we've built up, we just consume, you know, with those regular life events that we should have an understanding of. Um, the second uh, obstacle that we face is the lack of training on how to transfer wealth. You know, sometimes, and, and I don't get it, we think, I've seen people just build up all these assets and build up all these, this, this wealth and not properly transfer it. When you don't properly transfer wealth, the government gets a significant cut. And there's always infighting about who's supposed to get what. Um, you know, it, it's so important that we, we understand the means of transferring wealth and the, and the types of, of vehicles that we need to use to transfer wealth, the types of tools that we need to transfer wealth. Um, and when we don't understand that, you know, we, we end up blowing a significant amount of our efforts um, just with things that could have been prevented. Uh, the next thing that we, we have to deal with in terms of a challenging obstacle is a lack of training on how to receive wealth. Most people who receive wealth blow it in a short amount of time because nobody oh. taught them nobody taught them what to do when they got this newfound wealth. So the first thing they do is they buy a car, they go on vacation, they buy all these things and they start spending and they're not realizing that this, this, you know, this thing has to be maintained. And so they end up blowing it because they don't know how to receive it. Um, And the last thing is poor investment strategies. And it's all about timing. So when we have poor investment strategies and our timing is off and we do the wrong things, uh, we we have this lofty goal of creating this this intergenerational wealth, and it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't materialize, and so we end up falling short of what our goals are. So one of the ways to overcome that is to be is to put together what I call a wealth transfer team. And that wealth transfer team has different people that you you want to have on there. One, you want to have a, a good financial advisor. Now. We have to. I have to caution you. Most people who call themselves financial planners or um, brokers or you know all these things don't necessarily have your best interest in mind. Um, so if it's a fee-based financial advisor, you will do far better. If it's a one-time fee-based financial advisor, you will do far better 
than a person who does not charge you but receives a commission on sales of things that they sell you. So if you go to a financial planner and they don't charge you, and the only way they get paid is by selling you different uh, structured investments, mm. you go to a, a, a broker and they get paid by you making trades, then their whole focus is on selling you the best product that's going to give them the, the most benefit for themselves. So you have to, you know, really choose wisely. And, again, I say if you go to a financial advisor that where you charge them, a, they charge you a one-time fee for the best advice, you're going to get the advice that's suited to you, not was suited to them because uh, it doesn't, you know, if they give you good advice, then they've already been paid. They don't have to get paid off of you making a trade or you buying or selling something. Um, you need to have an insurance broker on your team. Being uninsured or underinsured is a is an easy way for you to lose everything that you've built up. And so, you know, we got to deal with different types of insurance, um, and I'll cover that a little later too. But an insurance broker is is going to give you uh, the best advice in terms of how you need to cover certain assets that you have, how you need to insure yourself, how you need to insure um, your business, how you need to insure all these things that, that you have that you've built up. You should also have on your team an estate attorney. Um, estate planning is so critical, and there are attorneys that specialize in that. Don't go to, you know, somebody who does criminal law, you know, uh, to plan your estate. You want to go to an estate attorney who deals specifically with, you know, uh, preservation of assets and transferring assets from one generation to the next. You should also have an accountant on your team. An accountant will help you in terms of creating the best tax structures for yourself because, again, you don't want to give it away in taxes. They'll also help you, you know, um, manage your money a little bit better. So you want to have a financial advisor. You want to have an insurance broker. You want to have an uh, an attorney that deals with estate planning, and you want to have an accountant on your team. That's your wealth transfer team. Um, it doesn't hurt to throw in a mentor, you know, who's who's already had experience, you know, doing things like that. Also, so you know, a mentor that you have a, a relationship with, you know, is also a good person to add if you want to add that too. So now let's get to the tools. This is probably one of the, the most important um, pieces of the whole thing. And, you know, how do we t choose the right tools? There are different types of things that you want to be able to put your money and your time into. For example, we have things that, that are tangible assets. And when I say tangible assets, I mean real estate or precious metals, certain collectibles that do not necessarily pay dividends meaning they don't pay you every single month, but they build significant value over time, so they build equity, right? So equity, for people who don't know, is the difference between what you, what, what you owe or what you pay for something and what it's worth. So, uh, for instance, in real estate, if you owe $100,000 on a property, but the property is worth $300,000, there's $200,000 worth of equity in there. So... You know, when we look at certain tangible assets, we have to look at the advantages of, of things that build equity. When you look at tangible assets that build equity, they are far less risky than, say, or uh, mutual funds or 
IRAs and things like that because they usually over time or long periods of time are not affected by credit. They're not affected so much by um, downturns in the economy. They're not affected by – there's so many things they're not affected by, um, you know, in terms of the market that they have that type of advantage. The disadvantage is, again, they don't necessarily pay dividends. Um, Real estate can pay you because it can pay you rental income, but the value, even if you just owned a home and didn't collect rent from it, the equity over time, you know, gives you that type of value. The disadvantages, the disadvantages of, you know, equity-based tangible assets is that they usually cost a lot of money to own, they cost you money to operate, they cost you money to maintain, and they cost you money to insure. Hmm. And those are the things that, that we tend not to think about. And that goes back to, again, you, when, you, when you buy a home, it's going to cost you money to own, operate, maintain, and insure. Um, the same thing with precious metals. You, it, you have to insure that. You have to, you know, put it somewhere that's safe. Um, then we have things that that, uh, and, and what's important about that too. I'm sorry, is that the value is based upon markets and inflation. So, if we're in an economic downturn, you lose some of the equity. So, if if you were in a situation where you needed to cash out. So, for instance, let's go back maybe 2009. If you had – I know a lot of people who own real estate and they couldn't liquidate it because they couldn't sell it because the market was down and they couldn't refinance because the banks weren't, weren't lending. And so even though they had all these tremendous assets, um, they couldn't extract the cash from it. So it's, that's, you know, that's a significant disadvantage that it has too. But, again, the advantage is, is over the long term – um, you know, it's, it's easy to to see the asset value, and it's easy to transfer from one generation to the next. It's, when you have a deed, you can transfer a deed to the next generation quite easily. When you have precious metals, you can hand it over to the next generation, you know, rather easily. So there's an ease in transition. They're far less risky um, over time, and they increase in, in value. Um, then we have to look at things that, that, that create compounded interest for us. So when we look at stocks, when we look at bonds, when we look at mutual funds, when we look at IRAs and TDAs, you know, they, they have advantages because they can pay you dividends constantly, meaning that, you know, you can, take, you can receive money from them every single month and you can put that money back in and because you put the money back in and reinvest, that it, it grows um, exponentially, meaning that, you know, if it made 10% this year on $100, when I put, I leave that 10% in, then next year I'm getting 10% on $110. And so over a long period of time, you know, we see significant growth from compounded interest. You know, the, the disadvantage is that there's no guarantee that a stock or a mutual fund or anything like that will perform. You know, we saw in the last recession the average person lose about 50% of the, of the value of their retirement accounts in their, their mutual funds. And so people who were a little older will never see a recovery of that in their lifetime. However, if you were young enough and you started early enough, then even if you suffered losses of 50% over a long period of time, you can recover doing that. So we want to look at, again, tangible assets. We want to have a mix tangible assets, we want to have a mix of, of um, 
a portfolio of things that create compounded interest. And this is important. We want to have insurance. You know, that's one of the most underestimated things that, that you can have. And, you know, you really have to choose your insurance wisely and understand the things that you have to be covered for. Now, in general, and I don't want to go into a long discussion about insurance, do not, in general, it is not a good idea to do the cash value plans, meaning the, the whole life plans. Um, you are far better off doing a term life plan based upon what you would like your family to be able to get uh, out of it should you die prematurely. So a good idea for some people, depending on how uh, old you are or how old your children are, if your children are very young, you want to have 20 years' worth of your income coverage and insurance. And that means that you have a high death benefit which will raise your, your premiums a little bit, but premiums when you're younger, if you start younger, are not very expensive and will go for a term. So you're looking at a term of 20 to maybe 30 years um, if your children are young. If you're a lot older, then, you know, the, the, the death benefit can be lower and the term of the insurance can be a little lower. So um, unfortunately, most people think that the death benefit is really about an inheritance, and it's not so much about inheritance. It's about really being able to replace your income when the children mm -hmm. are young, you know. So um, insurance is not an investment. You know, that was the whole, you know, scam that they ran with the whole life insurance uh, stuff. It is not an investment. It's a death benefit should you die prematurely. But you must make sure that everything that you have, every tangible asset, your, your real estate properties have proper insurance, that your precious metals have insurance, that anything that your business has insurance, anything that you have has insurance. Um, you also have to make sure that you have the proper tools in terms of, of writing everything down. You know, I, I do seminars all the time, and one of the questions I usually ask, and I say, show of hands, how many people have a will? Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised that 95% of people do not have a will. It's one of the easiest documents to draw up. And unfortunately, people, people have this idea that they'll have time. And none of us know when our time will come. And so if you don't want the state to make a decision about how your assets will be distributed, if you don't want a fight, infighting in your family, because it will happen. You know, people think it won't happen, but it always happens. If you don't want these things, if you don't, if you don't want the state to decide if you have children, who's going to take care of your children, then you need to write a will. You know, that's so important. Um, it's a simple document. It could probably take you, you know, maybe an hour of, even if you thought really hard, and it take you about an hour really to put together. Um, you have to write a will. You know, that's, that's you know, one of the, silliest things that people don't have. And I, I'll give you an example of a disaster. Um, there have been many stories where a, a person has a lot of assets, a lot of money, and they didn't write a will. Let's say the, the, the parent is an older person, but they, they remarry later on in life. And soon after they get married, they pass away. What people don't understand is by law, all of your assets will transfer to the next of kin, which is your new wife. 
and your children who are grown will get nothing. You know, so it's important that you at least do a will because it's a horrible thing for somebody to walk into your life at an older age and your children get nothing. Yes. So it's important, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to do that. Another thing that people don't understand is that when you have investments like um, IRAs, TDAs, 401Ks, there's a, a form that you have to fill out in case of death who the beneficiary is. It is important that you update the beneficiary information as needed because, again, if you had a situation where you remarried and your former spouse is on the old beneficiary documents, your former spouse will get your, your money. And even if, you, even if you put in your will that my children get all of my assets, a beneficiary document trumps a will. Whoa. Say that again. A beneficiary document trumps a will. So mm. it does not matter what you write in the will. Whatever's on that document, who you state as the beneficiary, that is who will get that asset. And so it's important that you constantly, when, when things change, that you update that. So that means on your life insurance policy, if you need to change the beneficiary, you need to change that now. Um, on your your retirement accounts, if you have a benefit, you need to update that information now. Because again, we don't know when our time will come. And you think you're covering it? Don't worry about it. It's in the will. The will um, is secondary to the beneficiary document. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I didn't know that, Haru. You know, I'm I'm a little yes. surprised. I'm a little, I didn't know yes. that. So I thought you know, I'm sure most people think if you if you have a will and you itemize what you want to to how you want things to be divided and, and dispersed in the will, then you're safe. And that's mm. what, unfortunately that's what people think. And then it happens and then, you know, so it's, it's a major problem. Uh because, you know, if you went to court, it's, it, well this is what the person said, it's what they signed. You know, it's on the document for beneficiary. So because a will is usually um for people who have is very usually more general you know um you don't necessarily itemize you say you know percentage of my assets da 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 you know go to this one or that one but the beneficiary document is very specific so that one will override you know the will you know something that's important too um is a healthcare proxy you know it's unfortunate but you know sometimes you you can't make certain health decisions for yourself and you need to be able to document, you know, who's going to be in charge of your, your health care, you know, should you become incapacitated. So make sure you, you have that health care proxy. And again, keep that current because, you know, if you get sick, this is the person who's going to make the decisions for you. This is the one who's going to tell the doctor yes or no. This is the one who's going to, you know, say, yes, do that treatment. Don't do that treatment. You know, take them off the life support. This is the person who's going to be in charge of that. So, healthcare proxy is another document that you need to have. Um, you need you you. It's it's a good idea to put together a revocable uh, a revocable living trust or a revocable trust, right? So, a trust. A lot of people don't understand how a trust works, and it it really is a way to avoid probate. And what it is is that you're the trustor, you put property 
assets into the trust that uh, and instructions that are carried out by a trustee for a beneficiary. And I know that sounds complicated, but it's really not. It's a it's a, a way to create privacy so that everybody's not into your how much wealth you have, but it's a way for your wealth to be transferred in a way that it, it really is very responsible. So let's say your children are young. You could you could put as directions in there that at 21 years old, they get this amount, and at 25 years old, they get this amount, at 30 years old, so that, you know, they don't just get this large sum of money all at once. Um, you could say they get a large sum of money all at once, but whatever it is that your family has discussed, the plans will be carried out by the trustee. So that's important. Now, I said revocable trust because that means you have the ability to change it. Because if certain things change in life, you want to be able to go in there and you want to change it. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we have somebody in the family that might have mental illness or a drug addiction or, you know, you know, just some crazy behavior that we don't approve of, and then you can change the trust, you know, if it's revocable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Upon, upon your death, it becomes irrevocable. It cannot be changed. So it automatically becomes irrevocable once you pass. So, you know, a, a trust is a, is a really you know, a great tool to control, coordinate, and distribute your property um, while you're alive or if you become disabled or, you know, if you pass away. So identify who is the trustee. The trustee can be anybody. Um, What a lot of people do is that, because you you name the trustee. Now, of course, it's somebody you trust, right? So what most people do is they hire an attorney to be the trustee. Uh Aha. A trustee. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to. A trustee can be anybody you trust to be able to execute uh, your instructions. So what happens if you hire an attorney, all the papers are signed, and something happens to the attorney? And you then something change. happens to you. Simultaneously? Well, come on, I'm giving you a scenario. <laughs> I mean, that's a difficult scenario. But if it happens simultaneously... Um, you know, the, then the estate would name a new a new trustee. Mm. So whoever's in charge, of the, yeah, whoever's in charge of the estate would name the new trustee. Um, and you can, you know, and again, you can have, you can put, you can have provisions. Okay, if this person's unable to do it, then you know, so and so can do it. But um, you know, basically, the estate would handle that. If if you just if it was sudden death and and the lawyer died or the trustee died at the same time. You know, which is highly unlikely, but you know it's possible. <laughs> um, another thing, in terms of documents, this is important too. Sometimes, you know, we start businesses and we'll have partners in our business. You know, if you have an LLC, you need an operating agreement. If you have a corporation, you need bylaws and things like that. But you have to, you have to have a provision in there for the possibility of one of the partners passing away what happens to the business because that's important too. You know, does the business suddenly transfer to the next of kin, their portion of the business? And what does that mean? You know, or do you have to, do you put provisions in there? Well, if one person passes, then you have to get, you know, an appraisal of the business and then you have to buy out that person's portion and give that money to the family. So, you know, you have to be able to protect that because a lot of times, 
you know, one partner will die and the family doesn't have a clue what they're supposed to do with the business or they just get completely cut out. So it doesn't make sense for you to build a business, you know, put your time, energy, and, 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 it, and it builds up value, and then you pass, and then, you know, there's nothing. And uh, one thing that I want to make clear is that a sole proprietorship cannot be transferred to an heir. Now, you make that, I don't know if people understand that. A sole proprietorship or doing business as, which is what most people do, if you just go get a business certificate and you start business, you cannot sell it, you cannot pass it on to an heir. So unless mm. you created a corporate entity, meaning an LLC, a limited liability company, or a, a corporation, then when you die, it dies too. So if you have a sole proprietorship, a DBA, when you die, it dies. And there goes the business, and then you cannot pass that on to your heir. So for, for wealth transfer purposes, if you have a business, I don't care how small of a business you have, create a corporate entity so that that immediately can pass on to your heirs because a corporation lives forever unless it is dissolved. So, you know, so you're saying if, but if you have a sole proprietorship, you can create is it, is it a part of the sole proprietorship or is it? No, you need to dissolve your sole proprietorship and make it and, and file for uh, incorporation so that your business will outlast you. Okay, got it. <laughs> a sole proprietorship and a general partnership are gone when you're gone. So, you know, a lot of people make that mistake. You know, they'll have a, they'll be a business owner all their life and, you know, thinking, okay, when I pass away, and you can put it in your will if you want to, it doesn't matter. It dies when you die. So one of the things we have to do is we need to begin to plan for the transfer of power while we're, we're living. And, you know, it's so, it's so critical, you know, that we, we, we do that, um, you know, for several reasons. One, you know, you always run the, the possibility of becoming incapacitated, you know, before you pass away. And, you know, you, in order to avoid just total chaos, you might want to create a power of attorney a durable power of attorney while you're living and transfer that, that authority over to one of your children, um, you know, who you've trained all the, you know, all their life to be able to do that. Because one of the, the worst things in the world is when you pass that power vacuum that's created, you know, and I can, you know, testify my, my own self, you know, there was a, a huge difference between when my mother passed and my father passed. You know, my mother passed back in, in 2003, and because my father was still living, then power just automatically transferred to my father completely, and he took care of, you know, all the assets, you know, they had, and, he, you know, everything, he took care of that. And when he passed, even though he documented everything, and even though he had discussions with us, when he passed, there was an immediate power vacuum, and you know, it was so strange, you know, to have that power vacuum because he was so strong in terms of his leadership. You immediately saw a power vacuum, but then what happens from a power vacuum, um, you create a power struggle. And so, you know, some of the, the probably the, the, the worst moments in my life that I had with my siblings, you know, was during that time right after my father passed, that, that power struggle of, 
you know, um, how assets are going to be transferred, even though he documented everything. Because what we have to understand, there's a difference between power and legitimacy. You know, my father clearly stated, you know, his wishes in terms of who was to take care of what, you know, so, you know, who's going to be the executor of, of the of the will in this state, you know, um, you know, who handled this and who handled that. But there's a difference between power and legitimacy. And if, so if all the siblings didn't have that conversation together early enough, because my father had a conversation with me, my father had a conversation with one of my sisters who's, who lives in New York, but if the other siblings weren't available to have that conversation with, even though, you know, he wrote it on paper, there's still that power struggle. And so, you know, you need to have those discussions, especially when, when you know you're sick, that, okay, this is, this is what I want to happen, and, you know, we all need to be on the same page so that, you know, everything flows smoothly. So, you know, you have to, you have to plan yourself for that power transfer while you're alive. You know, you can't wait and hope that they work it out, you know, after you pass. So, again, those conversations when your children were young, when they were, you know, teenagers and they were young adults, but when they're grown, when they're in their 40s and 50s and, you know, uh, you still have to have those conversations. Um, so, you know, it's important to do that. Um, you know, um, Haru, can you hear me, Haru? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One, another another uh, point to add, um, and this might take the conversation in a different direction, but, and I want to come back to where you left off. I don't want to go necessarily in this direction, but one of the things that I learned, and I can think, I think my whole family can attest to this, is that it's so important to have all of these documents in your pla- in in place with the will, the um the 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 business. You know, I never I didn't think about that, but the healthcare proxy, everything that you talked about, because when a parent uh, passes away. There is an emotional crisis that you are undergoing. You are in a state of shock. Even if the parent was sick, when that actual moment comes, you are not mentally or emotionally prepared to be dealing with any business. Right. You know, making, you know, um, sound, logical business decisions. So having all these paper, all these paperwork, um, in place, having the will, having the health care proxy, the trust, how knowing, um, having some um, process in place, having your transfer team um, together is 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 oh, so definitely. so 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 very critical, and I'm so so very happy that you said that. I just want to mention that we do have some new callers on the line. And uh, they haven't pressed their number one on their keypad, Haru, so we don't know if they want to talk or if they're just listening in. But uh, for those callers who have just called in and for those who have just clicked the link uh, via Facebook uh, to listen in, all of our shows are archived. You can listen to our shows via iTunes. Um, You can listen to our shows via our website at www.thekeys107network.com. So if you missed some stuff, and I, and if you just tuned in, trust me, you missed a lot. I've got four pages of notes uh, tonight. So, Haru, let's move on um, to your next point to begin to wrap it up because we're coming close to that hour, and you know I just never like us to get shut off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the last thing I guess I'll talk about is, is protecting your assets now. And you know, one of the things we have to do is be able to identify the assets that we do have. Sometimes we, we overlook certain things. And so, 
you know, I say we have tangible assets and we have intangible assets. And so when we talk about tangible assets, uh, your business is a tangible asset. Your real estate is a tangible asset. Um, your securities are, per, are tangible assets. Personal property is a tangible asset. Cash is a tangible asset. Um, and then we have intangible assets that still have to be protected. And primarily I'm talking about intellectual property. So, you know, it's important to be able to, uh, you know, protect that with copyrights, you know, um, trademarks, you know, dealing with your trade secrets, your business processes. These are all intangible assets that have to be, you know, protected as well. So, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, forming the, the proper business entities. And, again, we want to, you know, stay with the corporate entities, you know, corporations or LLCs, which are important. Um, and we want to avoid, actively avoid lawsuits because that's one of the, the greatest ways that you can lose, you know, everything that you have. And so even when we look at, you know, avoiding lawsuits, you know, it's really about making yourself judgment-proof. And I, I don't know if that really makes sense to people, but attorneys will not take a case if you look poor on paper. And so when we talk about creating a, a trust, a trust creates privacy. When we talk about creating corporate entities, corporate entities give you a, a shield against liability. When we talk about putting every single piece of property you have in a separate LLC and taking it out of your personal name, um, you know, it, it protects that property because even if somebody falls in front of your property and your insurance doesn't cover it, the most they'll get is that particular LLC, meaning that particular piece of property and not everything else that you own. Um, uh, you know, you, you have to create these, these structures that give you layers of, of anonymity and layers of protection. And so even if you have multiple businesses, you want them all, or multiple ideas, you want them all under different business entities, and you can create, you know, um, you know this umbrella organization or, or a holding company and have the others underneath it just to create these layers of anonymity and these layers of, of protection. Um, you have to be careful that you don't talk too much about what you have you know, that's a, a huge mistake that people make. You know, certain things are to be discussed in your family and not to the world. Mm. Um, you don't want everybody. It, it's important. When you talk too much, that's how you lose things. Um, <laughs> people will, if you find out what you have, they will try to get it, whether they're trying to con you out of it or they try to outright steal it from you. People will try to get what you have. You know, there, so there, there are other threats to your, your assets, too. Um, when you don't put everything in writing, and when I say put things in writing, memories fade. I mean, put everything in writing. If it is your desire, put it in writing. Your memory fades. Other people's memories fade. Um, especially, again, when, when we get emotional, um, it's hard to recall, and especially over time. You know, our memories are dynamic. They change, you know, mm -hmm. all the time. So over, over years, nobody remembers exactly what the discussion was. And so put it on paper um, if it's important, and everything should be important. Um, you know, something we did discuss, prenuptial agreements. Oh. If you, yeah, prenuptial agreements. If you started your plan for intergenerational wealth before you got married, you need to have a prenuptial agreement in case you get divorced. Now, people say, well, if you write a prenuptial agreement, you're planning to get divorced. No. No one goes into marriage planning to get divorced. A hundred percent of people who get married, think they will be married forever, and over 50% of them are wrong. And so you could easily fall into that 50% that, 
make sure you have a prenuptial agreement so that if you do end up in a divorce situation, your children still have access to that money that you created before you got married. You don't want to have to give it away to somebody who, you know, could walk away and your children never see it. If it's talking about intergenerational wealth, um, you know, make sure you get the proper professional advice. Again, when we talked about certain advisors, fee-based, one-time fee-based advisors will generally give you better information than commission-based professional advisors because commission-based professional advisors have to keep you coming back. Right. Hmm. Um, another thing that we have to, to really manage is debt. You have to take care of creditors because that will drain everything you have. In most cases, the interest that's accrued on debt is far greater than interest that's accrued on investments. So when you have situations like credit card debt that's 28 and 32%, you know, it has to be addressed. You know, you, you, can't, you can't let that pile up and, and assume that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take care of itself. That will drain all the savings you have. The same thing when you think about creating debt for buying a property. You get a significantly better deal if you can do a 15-year mortgage than if you do a 20-year mortgage or if you do a 30-year mortgage. And so, you know, you got to start thinking about how you manage debts because creditors will wipe out everything that you have. So, you know, it's important um, also to, to take care of your own health. Um, you need to invest that time in your health. And I, I know I've said it on other shows, but you have to take that time to go to the spa. To I walk every morning. You know, you have to do certain things to make sure that you're in the best condition possible so that you you can, you know, have the ability to, to build these assets and, and lead your family uh, into the next generation for a long time. Um, tax structure. Make sure you, you, you're not giving all of your money away in taxes. And that's another reason, again, when we talk about corporate entities, corporations pay very little taxes in comparison to everybody else. So, um, you know, capital gains taxes is far lower than earned income tax. Corporate tax is far lower than earned income tax. So make sure you're taking advantage of the different tax structures that we have. Um, you know, just avoiding what I call the time thieves. The time thieves will just drain you too. So, you know, avoid the lawsuits, put everything in writing, create prenups, write your will, write your living trust. Um, you know, just put all these things together. You know, make sure you have copyrights on your stuff, patents on, the, on your intellectual property. You know, those are the things that you need to protect those assets so that you have the ability to transfer them to the next generation. Whoa. Haru, you have touched on so many um, important points for life right here. And you started out uh, just talking about the advantages and even the historical challenges of transferring wealth. Um, one of the things that came to my mind as we begin to wrap up today is the point you hit on having the conversation with your children, but also having the conversation with your family members. Um, you talked about problems and how problems can sort of blow up and destroy what wealth was beginning to build or what wealth is coming your way. Um, used a phrase, and I know I've got so much notes, I'm not going to be able to find it right away. <laughs> communication, open communication, the value of communication is it, I'm talking to your children while they're young. Um, we have a tendency to just go shopping and leave the children home, and they don't have a clue on budgeting. And so they go out on 
they they get their first paychecks. They you know they out they graduate from college and they just begin to spiral, and eventually right. they can get to a point where they're so overwhelmed. It's simple. Just start with that conversation now. When is the best time? Now is the best time. So we are coming to the end of our broadcast tonight, and I want to thank uh, Haru so much again for joining us. Haru comes on every third Thursday of the month, and his next broadcast, um, given that given that model, <laughs> will be April 21st. And um, as soon as we lock down the, the focus of that conversation, um, we will begin to post it in our social media as, as we always do. I'd like to thank our new callers who have joined us today and thank all of you who have clicked the link for giving us your time and I hope you are able to really glean some information that could help you open doors to endless possibilities in your pursuit of love, peace, and happiness. Haru, why don't you take a moment and give everyone your contact information or how they can connect with you. Sure. Um, you can definitely find me on Facebook um, under Haru Niket or on, under my company, uh, Insiders Group, Inc. I have a page there, and I also have a page for my book, Recession Driven Riches. So that's Insiders Group, Inc. You can uh, like that page or Recession Driven Riches. You can contact me directly uh, at my email, Haru, H-E-R-U, at insidersgroup.com. Um, also, I have a website, insidersgroup.com. So, you know, I look forward to any questions that you might have. Um, also, soon, probably next month, um, I'll probably announce I have some dates for some free workshops, actually, that I have coming up in April. So, you know, everybody's welcome to, you know, come to the free workshops. Um, and I'm excited. In the fall, I'm going to have a Black Wealth Summit. Um, it's going to be at Mega Everest College, and I'll, I'll get back to you with the date, uh, exact date on that. So, you know, feel free to contact me on Facebook or um, at Haru at InsidersGroup.com. So while you were talking, I found that um, quote you gave, and, you're, and, we're gonna, and this is perfect to close on, um, invest in your children, don't just spend on them. So very important. Uh, Haru, again, let me make the announcement of the next show. The next show will be April 21st. If you have any questions as you listen to the playback of this broadcast, you can inbox, you can email us at suggestions at the keys107network.com. You can inbox us on Facebook. Join our group. Tell a friend. We've got important information for you to help you get your life together. I am Rafika. The, my co-host, Brother James, is out of town today, so he wasn't able to bless us with his presence, but he will be back in our next broadcast. We have coming up two shows that celebrate women on the move, making things happen. We have Dr. Cheryl Murrow, who is the uh, partner, and she is a trichologist specializing in black hair. She is no stranger to the Keys 107. Um, her father is Dr. Willie Murrow, who uh, developed the formula for the Jerry Curl or the California Curl many years ago and remarketed the Afro Pick. So they've got some wonderful things coming up. She's going to tell us about her all-new, very exciting Curl Academy a place where hair technicians can can go to learn how to care for 
black hair. And we also have a sister Moithana from the Baltimore Bee More <laughs> coming up, and she's going to talk about moving from ordinary to extraordinary and her new book coming out. So both Moithana and Dr. Cheryl Murrow have your shows available for your listening pleasure on the Keys 107 Network. Good night, and thank you so very much for listening. And because Brother James is out today, I'm going to play something very, very special for him. I know this is one of his favorites.
Listening to the Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. 